Okay, well, it's my joy if I can do it. <clears throat> it is my joy to, to carry on uh, this wonderful series we've been doing on the heart. And if you've been listening to that or part of that in person or even connecting to that online or you've missed any of that, make sure you grab it. We've been looking at the whole journey of the heart, surrendered heart, grateful heart. Uh, and that's such an important conversation for us. And that's a great conversation to have at the beginning of the year, of course. But it's a great conversation to be having any time of the year. And it's my joy uh, today to share on a generous heart. I, I was so excited when I was uh, given this topic, challenged and excited, because I think the generous heart is at the very essence of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to read a beautiful story from John chapter 6, if you want to look that up in your Bible, whether it's on your phone or your tablet, or even, even one with pages, then if you look that up, while you're looking that up, John chapter 6, let me just uh, say a couple of little things. Uh, as a little, a little help to you, maybe, please forgive me if you already know this, but a couple of things have really helped me when I come to read the Gospels. I try to rotate the Gospels constantly, so I try to read something of Jesus every day. I think it's a good a good thing to do as a Christian. So whatever else I'm reading in the Bible, I try to read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Currently just finishing John's Gospel in my everyday devotions. And here's a little tip for you. If you ever ever see a story that is in all four of the Gospels, all four Gospels mention a story, then that's a big sign from the Lord that we really need to pay attention to that story. There's something going on. Remember, the four gospel writers didn't all sit in a room and confer. They were writing gospels at different times. And yet, remarkably, providentially, they end up writing something that the other has included. And, and so when you get a story that all four mention, it's really worth leaning in a little bit harder. Now, of course, we should always lean into the Bible hard. So don't hear what I'm not saying on that. But of course, when something's repeated four times in the four Gospels, really worth leaning into. And the story we're about to read is repeated in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John want us to try and get something about Jesus and get something about this event, which both will help us to follow Jesus, but also help us as followers of Jesus. The other little tip is, and it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, really, is if you are reading, say, the Gospel of John, and you come across something in John that isn't anywhere else in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, then that's John really trying to grab your attention. He really wants you to lean into something because he's mentioned something that nobody else has. And in terms of his picture of Jesus, he really wants to pull you into something. He wants to draw your attention to that idea. And so when, when you're reading the Gospels, look out for the stories that are in all four Mark those, list those, and then lean into those. That'll be a great exercise for you. But remember that each individual gospel writer has an agenda, and so sometimes they include things they want you specifically to see in their story. Is that, is that helpful as a little idea? That really helps me. I hope it helps you. And so we're going to read a story together that is in all four gospels. So here we go. John chapter 6, verse 1, and we're thinking about the generous heart. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. 
Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew or had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Hundreds of years before this story happened, a man called Solomon penned some amazing words. And here's what he said. He said, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, I like, that's the NIV version of that. I like that. I've memorized that in the NIV. I think it's beautifully poetic. But I need to say this, that, that though the NIV uh, translation of that is beautifully poetic, it's a, it's a little bit light on the force of the words Solomon actually said. If you go to the language that Solomon wrote this in the Hebrew text, actually there's a double emphasis in this verse. It's sort of just lost in the idea of guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Actually, the English Standard Version really translates it well, and it says this, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. See the difference there? So the NIV says guard, which is cool. It's wonderful. That's the idea. But the ESV sort of grabs the double emphasis in the Hebrew by saying to us, keep your heart and then be vigilant over your heart. There are two separate ideas coming into one. Guard and watch over. Now, why are we called to guard and watch over? Because Solomon tells us, he says, because your heart, that inner world, that center of your being, the person that is within you right now, where that the, the seat of your emotions and your spirituality, everything sits at the center of your being. He says, that heart is the wellspring of life. Now, the word he uses there is really, really interesting. It can cut one of two ways and even both in terms of how we read it. It can point to the idea of your heart being the source of something, which I think is the big idea there. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that if your, if your heart is healthy, if your heart is good, then everything coming out of you will touch whatever you touch with health and goodness and life. 
You with me? That doesn't mean everything in your life is healthy and good and wonderful, but it means that what's coming out of you from a a heart that is good and filled with life, a heart at peace, is touching your world with that. So there's a source there. It's the source of everything you are, and that's why it's really important. There's another cool idea of boundary associated with this word, and the idea is that that the condition, the well-being or otherwise of my heart can actually dictate to the wider boundary of my life. In other words, you can have a, a heart that's really healthy, and what it does is it creates a bigger boundary for your world. You can have a heart that's sort of, let me use the language, sick or unwell, or or a heart that's not in a good place. And what that does, Solomon says, it shrinks the boundaries of your life. It's not about where you live, but about how you live is the issue. What's setting the boundaries of our world is not necessarily only what is around us, but Solomon suggests it could be stuff within us. Are you with me? That makes sense to you? So in another part of Proverbs, he puts it this. He, he really puts it so well. He says, the heart at peace or the heart at rest brings life to the body. But envy rots the bones. You see that? See the connection between the heart and the physical? He's saying that the condition of your heart, if it's at peace, brings life. That's the idea of wellspring. It's bringing life to you. But the heart that's envious or jealous, what's it doing? It's eating you. So something going on on the inside is affecting your world on the outside. And that's the essence of this series that we've been looking at. That actually our world is from the inside out. But here's the challenge with guarding your heart or watching over your heart with all vigilance. It's not a one-time deal. That's sort of the problem. It would be great if you and I could just do an exercise, sort of turn the key, lock up and protect the heart, and that's it done. We can just get on with our lives then because the heart is protected. Here's the challenge we have that actually this morning you could have an amazing experience with Jesus and then then tonight in an unguarded moment of your heart, something weird happened. All in the same day. Maybe even in the same hour, Right? Uh, Today, you could have a day of real victory and breakthrough. Tomorrow, you've got to start all over again sort of thing with guarding your heart. Just because we guarded our heart well today doesn't mean that's going to carry on to tomorrow. We've got to be sort of intentional and conscious about guarding our inner world tomorrow as much as we did it today. Now, Now, that's the challenge. It's also good news. If we had a bit of a stumble today, it means tomorrow we can reset and go again, right? But that's the challenge. It's an ongoing challenge into our world. And in the context of a generous heart, we're being asked to guard ourselves against our natural temptation to be selfish. Okay, let me speak for myself. My natural temptation to be selfish to be small. Now, what do you mean by small? I mean, I'm only thinking of my world by small and stingy. Now, every human has the potential to be selfish, small, and stingy. And really, if you read the Bible honestly, we'll know that, that once our, our 
parents fell, Adam and Eve fell, actually that's what they really were up to quite a lot. There was a lot of selfishness, smallness, and stinginess. And that's the natural propensity of the human. And what Jesus wants to help us to do in making a journey to a generous heart is to guard ourselves from the natural desire for selfishness, smallness, and stinginess, which is potentially in all of us. And he wants to move us to a place of generosity. Not just generosity in actions, but generosity in attitude. If, if, if generosity lives as an attitude in our heart, the actions will follow. Amen? Are you with me? Because, because Solomon says, if you guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. So if generosity is in my heart, if I've trained my heart to be generous... And I'm making a deliberate decision to guard my heart against the sort of selfish, small, stingy stuff. Then here's what's going to happen. The wellspring will be, will be gloriously impacted by generosity. My actions, words, behaviors, gifts, however that, what generosity looks like. And don't just go money. Think of generosity as a lifestyle, which will include your money. But it's not just a money issue, it's an attitude issue. And, and if my heart is generous, then actually there will be, I'll move more easily and naturally towards a world of generosity. Because generosity is not just about what you do, it's about why you do it and where it comes from. Because we don't just want to be people who do occasional acts of generosity, we want to be people with generous hearts. You with me? I've just had a wonderful Christmas uh, with my family and everybody rocked up, like many of you. They all came. So Dan, Elena, Abigail all came and lived with us. Beth Ann was back from Bible school. So a house full of people. It was all kicking off and all going on. And we were so excited. Everything's ready. We're all prepped. It was amazing. And Dawn and I are now really sort of empty nesters, really. You know, Beth Ann's moved out with Bible college. She may or may not return home. I suspect she won't. Of course, Elena's gone and Simeon's gone. So we're, we're, Dawn and I sort of have the, the life of the empty nester. But we were very, very excited to have the whole family back. After about three days, I wanted them all to go. Is that terrible? I'm, I'm getting a bit of free therapy here today, okay? So just be gentle with me. I'm just being really vulnerable with you and really honest. I love my kids. I do anything for them. I love my, my granddaughter. She's fantastic. But I wanted them all to go. Because I'm picking up their stuff. I'm tidying up their shoes. My lovely, nice, nice neat living room is like a bomb has hit it. Me and Dawn are doing all the cooking and the washing up and the, and the clearing up. Who's with me? They're all playing games and having a wonderful time. And I'm like, you know, washing the dishes. And part of me just wanted them to go. They're, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. I just want to watch football or read a book. Leave me alone, okay? Isn't that terrible? Now, I would describe myself as, you know, I mean, we're trying to be modest here. I'd describe myself as sort of a more generous person than an ungenerous person. If you, if you push me, I think my lifestyle sort of reflects that in all that I do. And I love my family. And yet I found myself selfish, 
I'm, I'm clearly the only one that's happened to over Christmas. Selfish. Small. Can I say in spirit, if not in, in behavior, stingy. That's what can happen if we don't guard the heart. Right? Because me and you, well, let me speak for me, my natural default will always move towards me at the center, my world, what I want. All right? The unredeemed John Andrews, that's where I'm going to live. And Jesus, who's redeemed me, is constantly trying to pull me away from me and into a bigger world and into a world that is better for me. Because there's something about being human that wants to hold, grab, and keep. Is that fair? Now, that doesn't make you bad in, the, in, a, in a like wicked sense. It just makes you human in a broken sense. Humans, from the moment we sinned against God, we've been grabbing, holding, and keeping. Grabbing, holding, and keeping. And when Jesus comes along, what's he doing? He's giving, giving, and giving. In fact, even the act of Jesus coming, is an, the incarnation is one of the greatest acts of generosity that God could have given to us. You and I have benefited freely from the generosity of God. And here's what Jesus wants to do if we're followers of Jesus. He wants to help us enjoy and celebrate that glorious generosity he's freely given to us, but then allow that generosity that we've received to flow through us to our world. But that generosity you've received won't just flow naturally. Naturally, we'll take the generosity of Jesus and then bank it. That's the natural disposition of the human. What Jesus wants to do is not bank it, enjoy it, but then share it. Share it. Does that make sense to you? You sure? And that's an important part of our journey together. David Gold uh, recently passed away, the co-chairman of West Ham Football Club, very, very wealthy man. I saw a program about David Gold and his upbringing. He came from complete abject poverty. In fact, he bought the flat that he grew up in, never renovated. It was sort of, well, at least at that point in the documentary, hadn't renovated. Remember him walking through the place in the broken glass. And he just, he just bought it and kept it because it was a reminder of his background. And, and by the time this documentary was done on David Gold, he was worth about 500 million pounds. He probably was worth more by the time he died. I didn't look. But he was asked a question in the documentary. He said, what's your greatest fear? And he said, the fear of being poor. And I totally got that. You think, well, he's got more money he'll ever spend in five lifetimes. Yeah, but he's human. And he's a broken human. And what broken humans do is, no matter how much stuff we accumulate, come on, there's always, always a bit more, right? Come on, there's always a bit more. Now, you're not admitting to that, so I'll admit to it. There's always a bit more. And that's the danger. We, we, we can translate that into our spirituality where actually I just want more Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus. And actually, I totally understand that. But at some point, we've got to start translating what we freely received into giving. 
Come on, are you with me? Okay. So when we look at this gorgeous story, we see something of that power. We see in the tension of the, of the boy with the, with the, the pack lunch, we see the tension of his need, his world, his desires, his provision, and that's colliding with the need of this big crowd and also the desire of Jesus to feed this big crowd. These big ideas are now colliding, ideas that me and you would understand. And this boy, I mean, we don't know really, we, we don't know what was in his mind, but he could have been struggling with selfishness. He could have said, hold on a minute, this pack lunch belongs to me. You're not having it. It's mine. I'm keeping it. My mom made it for me. I'm keeping it here. This boy could have struggled with smallness because he could have said, actually, how far can this pack lunch go among so many people? Even the disciples said that. And this boy could have been struggling with stinginess. Hey, listen, uh, I, I had the foresight. My mom had the foresight to pack a pack lunch. Everyone else should have brought their own. Why should they have mine? It's not my fault you're all hungry. You should have brought a packy like I did, right? Are you with me? Now, we don't know if that went on in the boy's life. All we know is he offered up his packed lunch to Jesus. But when you have a, a need, when you have a desire from Jesus to do something with that need, and then when you have some resource, we've got a perfect storm brewing. And the challenge to us is, do we, do we surrender what we have and are to Jesus so he can do something with that? Or do we go selfish, stingy, and small? Now that scenario, not this one, but scenarios like that happen every day of our lives. They're happening all the time. And, and we're not just concentrating on do some generous stuff. Our journey is about embracing a generous heart. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He, he said that the blessing is in the actual giving. Not what you get from the giving, but in the actual act of giving. Wow, that's counterintuitive. Because when we give something, we're hoping for something back. But Jesus says, the blessing is in the actual giving, regardless of what you get back. Wow. Okay, that's a tough one for humans, right? Okay, here we go. Let me give you three ideas as quickly as I can as we think about a generous heart. Why is a generous heart important? Because I believe in the story we see three gorgeous principles. First principle is this, a generous heart enlarges the giver. A generous heart enlarges the giver. Look at the little triple whammy, the little triple clue we have about the giver of this gift. It tells us, first of all, he was a boy. Now, a little clue for you. Anytime you see boy mentioned, especially in Hebrew scriptures or, or, or people in a Jewish context, it's usually someone who hasn't yet become a man. And in Jewish culture, you became a man at around about 12 or 13 years of age. You have your bar mitzvah and you become a man. Now, the fact that they refer to him as a boy in the same way that, that Luke talks about the boy Jesus in the temple means he hasn't come to adulthood yet. He's a boy. And of course, he's a boy in a crowd of men. He's a boy in a crowd of adults. He's He's a small voice on the fringe of the world. And John tells us a boy brought it. That's a deliberate piece of information. Secondly, John tells us that he brought five barley loaves. Now, why didn't John just say loaves? Do you ever wonder those wee details why they're thrown in? And they're little clues from the writer. Because barley was the bread of the poor. If you couldn't afford 
the best wheat, you made your bread from barley. And so barley was identified as the bread of the poor. So the fact that John says he's brought five barley loaves, not just loaves, means he's saying this boy's from a really poor background. And then the third little thing is he, he had two small fishes. Why don't you just say two fish? John has deliberately emphasized three things. Boy, barley, small. Boy, barley, small. Why is he doing that? Because he's about to show us That the size of our world does not determine where our gift can go if we give it out of a generous heart. If you looked at that boy, we're going, listen, what does he know? He's a kid. Uh, Let's get some proper adults in the room and strategists who can help us feed this crowd. No, no, you'd have pushed that boy to the side because he's nothing to offer. You'd have looked at his offering, his poor offering and his small fish and thought this isn't going to work in fact one of the disciples say that so we look at the boy and we see smallness we see poverty we see weakness but actually we're about to see Jesus transform that smallness poverty and weakness into something awesome right and I believe that day that boy not only was enlarged in the giving of his gift, but I believe he would never be the same again. Sometimes I read stories in the Bible and I wish they give you a follow-up. And the follow-up in this story for me would be, here's what happened when the boy went home. And he told his mother what went on that day. (laughs) Had a good day, son? Ah, Yeah, great. Do you enjoy your packed lunch? Well, well, let me tell you about my packed lunch. I didn't actually get to eat it. Well, why not? Because I give it away. What'd you give it away for? Because Jesus wanted it. What did Jesus do with it? Well, he multiplied it. And over 5,000 people enjoyed my packed lunch. But that's impossible, I know. And who knows that that boy would never look at fish the same way again. Come on. Who knows that boy would never look at barley loaves the same way again? Who knows that that boy has been changed and transformed? And here's what a generous heart does. A generous heart is resistance to two powerful ideas in humans. The idea of I need something, my need. The boy was hungry, he had a need, and I want something. Uh, And need and want really drive humans. And need and want are often Big challenges to generosity. Because the, the fear is if I give away, I won't have enough. I won't have what I need. And if I give away, I'll never get what I want. But actually, when it comes to a generous heart, we're moving from the normal way of thinking and working the way humans do, and we're moving into Jesus' world who can take our offering, he can take our smallness, he can take our poverty, he can take our weakness, and he can do something amazing in it that not only meets our own need, but even satisfies us. The boy would have been one of the people eating the lunch that Jesus had multiplied, and he would have been one of the people satisfied at the end. Not only did he have his needs met, but he had his wants met. All right? Here's what the Bible says. Back to Solomon. He says, one person gives freely but gains more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the one 
who hoards grain, but they pray blessing on the one who is willing to sell. I love how the message puts it. The message says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Are you with me? Listen to me. Let let me encourage you that when you act out of a generous heart, even if there's no immediate response or blessing to you, I want to say to you, you, that gift and the way you're giving that is enlarging you. You're becoming a bigger person. Generous people are bigger people. They're bigger on the inside. And I've generally experienced the fact their world is bigger on the outside because they step forward. The resistance that is, if I give, I won't have enough. If I give, I won't get what I want. And that's where the faith and the trust comes in that I'm going to give this over to Jesus and still believe that my world will be enlarged. Are you with me? That makes sense to you? Here's the second idea really quickly. His generous heart enabled the Lord. So his generous heart enlarged him. This generous heart enabled the Lord. Look at what verse 11 says. It says, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated and gave them as much as they wanted. They were stuffed at the end of the day. They didn't just get a little bit to take the edge off. They could have as much as they want. That's a lot of food for 5,000 plus people. They were satisfied and 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 the boys offering can I say this reverently enabled Jesus to do something supernatural with that gift that that gift on its own could never have done that boy could have maybe shared his packed lunch with the with the with the kid next door to him you know sitting sitting on the grass with him and maybe two of them may have enjoyed a little bit of it but they certainly wouldn't have been satisfied he gives something away he puts it into the hands of the provider of the multiplier of the healer of the savior of the master and of the king and suddenly those glorious tender beautiful magnificent hands of Jesus transform a tiny impoverished little packed lunch into a dynamic revolutionary experience for thousands of people. Thought that was worth an amen, at least one there. Here's the problem, right? Here's our challenge, me and you, right? If we don't, if we don't grab these ideas and pull them into the 21st century, these stories become sort of Christian fairy tales. Cool for the first century, don't work in the 21st. I believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe the same Jesus who touched that bread, poor bread, and touched those little fish is the same Jesus who lives in our world today and the same Jesus who lives in your world and the same Jesus who's right alongside you in the cost of living emergency and the same Jesus who can take our brokenness and our smallness and our poverty and our weakness and the little thing that we can give and he can transform it into something absolutely dynamic. I believe that. I do believe that. And I believe he wants to help each one of us because the, the heart of generosity is an act of trust, right? You hand over your packed lunch. It's a big trust issue. What's he going to do with my packed lunch, right? You, the minute you hand that over, it's an act of trust. And what is an act of trust about? Number one, when you hand over your packed lunch, you're saying the Lord can take care of my offering. 
Come on now. Over the years, Don and I have been generous to individuals, generous to churches, and generous to organizations. And they, those, those objects of our generosity haven't always done a good job with our hard-earned cash or our time or our efforts. And sometimes, sometimes we are reluctant to be generous because we're afraid of how the gift's going to be used. That's not our responsibility. Now, we've got to be wise and prudent and sensible where we put our resources, but actually it's not my responsibility. The minute I do what Jesus tells me to do and I hand it over, here's what I'm doing. I'm trusting you. Humans might blow it. Humans might abuse it. I might give you a hundred quid and you could go down to shop and buy a hundred quid's worth of lottery tickets. That wasn't what the hundred quid was for, but it's your gift. What I did was give you what Jesus told me to give you. What you do with it, entirely up to you. But here's the thing. Here's the glorious thing. Whatever you do with it, whatever my local church does with it, whatever an organization does with it, I give it to the Lord. I didn't give it to you. I give it to him. Come on. I've never tithed to a church in my life. I've tithed to the Lord. That's not pious. That's the truth. If I only gave to people who were like perfect, I'd have all my money. If I only give to churches that absolutely did everything that I wanted them to do, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be giving my money. If I only give to charities that were spotlessly perfect in everything they did, I wouldn't give any money. That actually there comes a point where, Lord, here's my packed lunch, trusting you. You do, you do, you do good prudence with all your giving, but ultimately there comes a moment where you trust them to look after your gift. And, and giving your pack lunch is secondly an act of trust. And here's what you're saying, Lord, I've given away my lunch. So I'm trusting that you can take care of me. Now that's hard for humans. That's hard because we like to be in control. We like to think we did it our way and we did it in a way that actually we could be satisfied about. But it's very, very hard to let go of something you've got control over and it's going to feed you. And you let go of that and you put it into the hands of Jesus, not just trusting him to do whatever he wants to do with it, but you're trusting him to feed you because now you don't have your lunch. You with me? Now that's, that's a step of faith. I can't force you into that. No one can or no one should. There's no strong arming the boy here when you put all the Gospels together, it's clear the boy comes forward with his gift. But, but actually, it's a step of faith. Here I am. I'm taking a step of faith. I'm going to trust you with my lunch. And I'm going to trust you that somewhere along the line, I'm going to get fed. Come on, are you with me? David said this, I was young. And now I am old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. Now, that's where most people stop the quote, Psalm 37. Some of you will know it. But the next bit of the quote's dynamic. He said, why? Because the generous are, are those who you look after are generous and lend freely. Those who have their bread supplied and those whose seed gets looked after are the ones who are being generous with their gifts to God. They're saying, we trust you. We could hold on to all of this to feed our seed, but actually we're trusting you so that you will take care of us. And that's a moment of faith. 
And that's why generosity, if it only remains in action, it's going to be something you do occasionally. But if generosity becomes an attitude, then it becomes about trusting Jesus with your gift. Can you trust Jesus with your gift? Because here's the deal, brothers and sisters. If we can't trust him with our gift, we probably won't give it. You with me? He's the same yesterday. Today. Forever. We believe that, right? That doesn't just mean in terms of salvation. It means in terms of all of this stuff. He's the same. He can take care of you. He can watch over you. He can bless you. He can give you all that you need and you can trust him. And listen, listen, it's a word for the Lord for somebody. Some of you in this room have given gifts away and you've been disappointed at how the gifts have been managed. Let it go. Because you didn't give the gift to them. You gave the gift to him. And when you give the gift to him, he'll square the account with you sooner or later. Somebody say amen. Okay, here's the last idea to the band. You want it, guys? Guys, gonna come? I'm ready to finish, and it feels like you're ready for me to finish as well. So here we go. Here's the third idea. A generous heart enriches others. So look, generous heart enlarges the giver. The generous heart enables the Lord. Can I say this reverently? It gives the Lord permission, an opportunity to do something supernatural. And thirdly, a generous heart enriches others. Look at what John says. John 6, verse 12. It says, uh, when they all had enough to eat. I love that. I, I love the image. I, I love just running my imagination. I just love the image of everybody having eaten, just lying black on the grass, just holding their bellies. Jesus, don't preach yet because we all need a wee snooze after that feed. Don't do anything yet. I love that image. The other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, almost use an identical phrase. They say, they all ate and were satisfied. Wow. Now here's the scene. I want you to imagine everybody's stuffed. The 12 basket fools are, are just there to see. Amazing miracle has just taken place. But here's what I want you to notice. Most people in the crowd would never know where the bread and fish came from. But Jesus knew. <laughs> In fact, at the end of the story, did you notice they want to make Jesus the prophet, the king? The prophet has appeared. Look what he's done. It's amazing. Let's make him king. And Jesus disappears into the mountains. No one mentions the boy. Let's get the boy out. Where's the boy with a packed lunch? Come on, lad. Come up here. Get a round of applause. Come on. Let's honor the boy for his gorgeous generosity. We don't even know the boy's name. Don't even know which village he came from. Don't know the name of the mother who made that pack lunch. Don't know anything about him. What we do know is he gave something. Come on now. Come on now. See, a generous heart, a generous heart isn't bothered if the crowd doesn't know. Come on, because the Lord knows. Come on now. The Lord has seen every gift you've given. He's seen it. He's seen it. He's seen it. He's seen it. That's the only pair of eyes 
that counts. And listen, I want you to see the second thing. Most people would never express their appreciation or generosity to that boy. He just went home. He was the catalyst for one of the greatest miracles in the ministry of Jesus. And he just went home. You're a tough crowd to impress. <laughs> that was pretty. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? And a generous heart gives us freedom against two powerful desires. Now listen to me carefully. Within humans, when we're generous, we crave recognition. Oh, okay. I like recognition. I do. It's nice you do something for somebody and like, oh, thank you, bless you. Maybe write you a wee letter, although we don't do that much now, or send you an email or send you a text. Recognition. Why? Why is recognition good for us? Because it strokes our ego. Look what I did. A marvelous me. Right? But a generous heart, a truly generous heart, can give without the gift being recognized. One of the great tests of your generosity is to give something away anonymously. Just try that. If you have never tried it, I know many in the room will have done that, but try it. It's cool. Because the only pair of eyes that sees it is Jesus. Come on. And the second big thing humans crave is reward. If I do this, what will I get back? And Christian, Christian theology has even developed a theology around this. It's taught people that if you give something, you'll get something back. Now, is, that, is there truth in that? There is. But actually, the kingdom of God is about giving something without thinking about getting something back. Well, I want to bless you with a hundred quid, but really I'm giving you a hundred quid because I want a thousand back. That's not generosity. That's a business transaction. When the boy handed over his packed lunch to Jesus, there was no guarantee he was going to get anything back. He was only giving something away. A generosity of heart sets us free from the need for recognition and the craving desire for reward. That's how we know we've changed or we're changing, right? Because humans love that stuff. But here's, here's what I want to say to you. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. He sees... He sees those prayers. He sees those tears. He sees that offering. He sees that generosity. He sees that visit that nobody else sees. He sees the money you've pushed to him or pushed to her or given to this or given to that. He sees all of that. And I've come to a place of complete trust. He sees it. And it doesn't really matter if you see it. Not doing it for you. We're doing it for him. And eventually, sooner or later, we're going to get a reward. Maybe in this life, maybe not. Maybe in the way we hoped, maybe in a different way. But we leave it to him. Why? Because it's not about recognition or reward. It's about, he wants my packed lunch. There you are. You can have it. Come on, are you with me? Jesus said, more blessed 
to give than to receive. And the blessing is not just in the action. The blessing is in moving our world where generosity is an attitude within us. Is that easy? No, it isn't. Is it a constant journey? Yes, it is. Will there be disappointments? Absolutely. Is it worth it? 100%. Because when you give in this way, I believe you imbibe the heart of Jesus and you express the kingdom of God. Amen. Will you stand with me? I'm going to hand back to Aaron. Sorry, I've gone a wee bit longer than I should have done. Please forgive me. But let me just pray for you. The Lord's just not after an act of generosity. I believe the Lord wants to form inside us a heart of generosity. I've had many experiences where I've been generous because it was the right thing to do, but it hasn't actually come out of a heart of generosity. And that's still good. But the best is that a heart of generosity is formed in us. And Solomon says, guard your heart. And I would add to that, guard your heart against the selfishness and the smallness and the stinginess. And allow Jesus to train our heart towards generosity and goodness and kindness. so that he can take who we are and what we have and do something truly awesome with it. So brothers and sisters, if you're in this room and you want to be open to a heart of generosity, I know many of you are on this journey, then why don't you just, where you're standing, every eye's closed, every head is bowed. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart as I pray? And don't just do it because I've asked you. Do it because something of faith is rising in your heart. Put your hand on your heart right now as I pray. Lord Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today and forever. Lord Jesus, we are recipients of incredible generosity. Even though you were rich, you became poor so that we, through your poverty would become rich. And Lord, we are rich beyond our wildest dreams because of your generosity in our world. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. You'll help us guard our hearts against selfishness and smallness and stinginess. And Lord, you'll help us to train our hearts towards generosity goodness and kindness. Lord, would you form a generous heart in us? Lord, would you develop a heart like the kingdom in us? Lord, would the spirit that was motivating that young boy that day, would that be in us, Lord? And I pray in a world that is anxious and worried about all sorts of things, Lord, this would be a community of generosity, but we would be individuals of generosity. Lord, would you work in us? and form in us a heart of generosity. And so Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. Let us be men and women of generosity. 
May your generosity flow to us. May it form in us. And may it flow through us. In Jesus' name. Amen.